Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Anthony Taylor. Anthony is an author, a coach, and today we're going to be looking at the subject of mental toughness. What is mental toughness? And how do you think situationally? How, how do you better understand how you think and respond to the challenges and opportunities that life throws at you? How can you develop better models to filter and understand the world that you occupy, but also other people occupy, being able to see through their eyes and being able to genuinely empathize, feel what they feel, not just understand what they feel, but feel it. How do you build real toughness? What what is it? Uh, What are the dilemmas and the paradoxes that you're going to have to tackle? Because this isn't easy. It's simple, but difficult. So, Anthony, welcome. Hi, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Would you mind giving the audience a couple of minutes on your history, please, so that we understand where you're coming from and why you're qualified to talk on this subject? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent, crikey, about 20 years in the corporate world in role. It started out in public relations agencies in in Manchester and London, largely because I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. And somebody said, you're good with people. You've got a gift of the gab. You should look at PR. So I kind of fell into that. I was reasonably successful at that, but never really, never really felt satisfied by it. So after a few years, found myself trying to change direction, ended up in the Caribbean, running a publishing company for a very wealthy individual. Spent four years out there, came back to the UK and fell back into PR again, largely because I hadn't figured out what I wanted to do. And then age 40, found myself facing some significant life changes all at the same time bereavement, divorce, and unemployment, being a new father as well, all within about space of 18 months, and decided to completely change career. Always been keen in sports and keen in understanding what made some people successful, some people didn't, and this kind of concept of mental toughness, and decided to move into the field of leadership development and coaching through the lens of mental toughness, which is what I've been doing for about the last 10 years now. Right. So are you bringing the knowledge of mental toughness as developed in sport into business or are you also working with sport uh, sports people i do work with some sports people as well but the predominantly large part of my work is with corporate people okay so athletes like me are also on your radar then absolutely excellent (laughs) okay so tell me this then let's start with some definitions can we define what mental toughness isn't first of all Mental toughness isn't what most people think it is, which is around the macho concept of, you know, it's about big biceps and balls. It's about pushing through regardless, you know, all that kind of meme stuff we all see and hear across the Internet. Get up at five o'clock, eat a lion. Yeah. Yeah, not that. Yeah. Okay. so what is it? Mental toughness is a plastic personality trait, which determines how we respond mentally, so how we think, when we're exposed to stress, pressure, challenge, and opportunities, irrespective of the circumstances. So I think it's useful just to break that down. The plastic personality trait means it's something that we can develop, so we can enhance and we can build it, but also it can be eroded. So in mental toughness terms, it's not you know, continued exposure to stress doesn't always strengthen, it can weaken. So that's so that's the really key bit to understand is that it can weaken as much as we can develop it. 
and it's the how we respond mentally but it's how we think that's what mental toughness is about it's how we respond mentally how we think when we're exposed to stress pressures and also opportunities regardless of the situation regardless of the circumstances and that last bit there is also quite key as well to understand that um, okay so it, it sounds to me like one of the qualities that you need is the ability to establish very clear boundaries yes that certainly comes with somebody's more mentally tough somebody's more mentally sensitive and that's the opposite end of it when we talk about mental toughness we don't the opposite of mental toughness is not mental weakness it's mental sensitivity and there can be a lot of benefits to that but as you described somebody's mentally sensitive might also struggle in terms of setting boundaries okay so again as we're let's just dig into the mental sensitivity what's the Mm. upside of being mentally sensitive people who are mentally sensitive and what's interesting is when we talk about mental toughness, the real benefit is when we start to dive into the model I think we're going to talk about, because there are four, eight key factors associated with that under four key headings. So to talk just about mentally sensitive or mentally tough can be distracting. But if we just, for the moment, I'll just sort of go with your answer, go with your question. The benefits of mental sensitivity can be that people tend to be quite creative they can be very emotionally in tuned are tuned to other people and to themselves that can bring with them a lot of high degrees of empathy social support they can be i think i mentioned quite creative as well they can also be quite risk averse which as we know can be quite beneficial you don't want to be spending a bunch of lemmings so there are benefits to mental sensitivity in the whole but the nuance the real benefit of understanding mental toughness is when you dive into each of the eight factors. Okay, so what's the um, the upside of being mentally tough? Let's describe what that looks like. Yeah, the upsides of mentally tough can be many. They can mean that we are more able to deal with stresses and pressures better, that we're more able to bounce back. It's closely aligned to success. It's closely aligned to well-being as well. So we know that people who are more mentally tough tend to be able to cope with the stresses and pressures of life without feeling the effects. Somebody's more mentally sensitive can still achieve amazing things, but they're going to feel every single bump in the road much more than somebody who's more mentally tough. So it's a, it offers a degree of suspension, if you like. Think about a car analogy. It smooths out the ride. So that it's really strongly associated with well-being. It's also strongly associated with improvements in performance. So if you take two people of similar abilities, whether that be sporting, academic or other, the more mentally tough can account for about as much as 25% difference in performance over somebody who's more mentally sensitive. That's really It, it can be in really important in terms of that thing as well. So, yeah, there's definitely benefits to Okay. So let's look at this in terms of uh, a framework I really like core, which Paul Stoltz came up with around building resilience. It's also a fantastic pain discovery platform for anyone. So let's start with control. What aspects of your mental health and your decision-making does developing mental toughness allow you to develop more agency over? So if we look at the first C of mental toughness, mental toughness has got four Cs to the more forward. So it starts with control, commitment, challenge, and confidence. If you look at control, control is divided into two subsections, as each of the four C's are to create the eight factors. You have life control, 
and emotional control. And they, you know, the more mentally tough somebody is, the more agency or the, when it comes to life control, the more agency they feel they have over their life and the effect, things that are going to affect them and how they can respond to those different things as well. When you factor in emotional control, that's the degree to which people are able to manage their emotions and to allow others to see the amount of emotions they want to. Somebody who's got more mentally sensitive will lose their rag a lot more. They'll be very changeable. They'll, uh, If they've got low levels of mental toughness or more mentally sensitive in life control, they will feel things are done to them as opposed to somebody who's higher up the scale and will feel that they have more agency of control over them. Right. Okay. And in terms of the ownership of uh, their decisions, their choices, what I see a lot of is uh, people abdicating uh, responsibility and control. There's a lot of blame, a lot of entitlement, and that stuff's very ugly. But mm. it also has very significant negative ramifications because you know, in all of our dissatisfying relationships, the one constant is you. And uh, there's no escaping it. So I'm really interested in that piece around responsibility. Where does that fit into mental toughness? I think that's interesting as well, because if you look, we talked a bit about control there, the first element of it. When we start to look at the second element of the mental toughness framework, it's commitment. And we divide that into two sections. So there's goal orientation, the degree to which people like to have goals, to set goals, to aim for those kind of things or not. And then there's achievement orientation, the degree to which people will do whatever it takes to kind of get the job done. When we look at control and commitment together, they make up resilience for us. That's the ability to bounce back, to manage our emotions, to control what we can control and to still keep moving forward in pursuit of our goals. That's the ability to be resilient. So when it comes to what you're talking about, it's that combination of those two things there, understanding what we can control, focusing on those things, managing our emotions, and still having good levels of achievement that we are going to take accountability for moving things forward. So that positive acceptance allows you to ex- uh, accept the constraint and then work within those boundaries and constraints. That, that's very useful. Yeah, and that goes to, the, if you think about the last bit of the definition which I gave, which was irrespective of circumstances. Yeah, you know, the, the more mentally sensitive we go, oh, things aren't going well for me right now and throw the toys out of the pram. The more mentally tough person says, regardless of what's going on, this is how I'm going to apply myself. This is how I think and this is how I'll move forward. You don't change the goal, you change the behaviour. Yes. That's the key. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of uh, that commitment piece, I'm very interested in how mental toughness affects cooperation and collaboration and confidence because more often than not i see um people hired for and put on a pedestal for largely sociopathic behavior and the reality is there is an inordinate amount of waste sales in recruitment in management in leadership in marketing in operations in just the amount of meetings people have for the sake of having meetings and then no one committing to a next step. So I'm really interested in uh, how this mental toughness play works in the context of working with others and in the context of being part of a team that has to execute a job and you are just one moving part of that. But that ownership piece, you know, seeing the interconnection, the uh, the requirement for others. I'd love to explore that in some depth. 
Yeah, it's it's really key. And it's essential when I'm working with a lot of organizations. You know, we might initially be brought in to say work with one or two individuals, but one of the things we always try to do is, is look at that context and see if that's an issue as you talked about that collaboration, and we'll test the rest of the team. Because mental toughness explains how we think, as I said, when we're exposed to these different things, it gives a really good clue as to what the issues might be going on with teamwork and collaboration. So as an example, we were brought in to work with uh, an individual from a in, a in a social housing setting, and this person was very high levels of mental toughness. I mean, we scored out of 10. They were eight, nine, and tens across the board, which is very unusual. They're, they're in the top 4% of the population to score that highly, uh, nines and tens across the board. And the issue was this person was brought in, they were doing great things, everything was going well for the first six months, but then the wheels started to come off the bus. Engagement in their team was going down, conflicts and issues were going up, staff uh, sickness was increasing, this individual was starting to feel much more burnt out. And what it all came down to was this individual's very high levels of mental softness and lack of self-awareness as to how she thinks and operates compared to the rest of the team. So she was pushing things forward, driving on, bringing new initiatives, setting ridiculous standards, working ridiculous hours, demanding all that of herself, of her people, as well as herself. And they were just starting to burn out because they weren't anything like her high levels of mental toughness. They weren't mentally sensitive, all of them, but there was a profile to that team. And she just wasn't reading the room and she didn't have that self-awareness. So as soon as we're able to show and work with it to go, well, that's your profile. This is how you think. But actually, this is how your people think and operate. And you're missing a trick here because they've got a lot to offer. But if you're going to keep driving them like a slave driver, you're going to, you know, that's what's going to happen. So we were able to very quickly start to change her mindset and start to help her actually soften her levels or become more mentally sensitive or as a result of relative self-awareness while helping her team to understand how she thinks. So we improved collaboration. Everything went back to being much better. That's a fantastic story. Okay. Tell me this then. We're looking at um, the model. We've got control. We've got commitment. And if I recall correctly, challenge was the next thing? Yeah, challenge and confidence are the last two. Okay. So how one responds to a situation, I'm guessing, is uh, going to be determined by your appetite for risk, your appetite for change. Um, but with that, also we have to factor in that you need to create certainty. Otherwise, people go to the worst case scenario as a default setting. So I'm really interested in exploring around the concept of challenge, the need for clarity and communication. There's a lot of C's in this episode. Yeah, there is a lot of things in this episode. Yeah, so challenge is talks about our mindset in our model of mental softness. And, and that's broken down into two areas, risk orientation, which I think you've alluded to, and learning orientation. So risk is the degree to which we are willing to get out of our comfort zone, try new things, adopt new strategies, techniques, whatever that may be. And learning orientation is our degree to which we're open to new learning and the degree to which we reflect on things that have happened and how we embrace that and we can we can move, you know, we can take that learning to go forward. Do we do those kind of after action reviews or not? Or are we just likely to go, oh, it just didn't work and forget it. You know, I'm not going to try again. So th those two things together. And again, with all of the, the sub factors that make up each of the, of the four C's, just because one might be high in one doesn't mean they're going to be high in, in another. And that 
as a is a really interesting see how that dynamic plays out okay and in terms of managing people and looking at the challenge uh, element of mental toughness what is it that managers need to do in order to ensure that they find the right balance and how do you use that to ensure that you're recruiting the right balance of people in your team so that you're not skewing too much in one direction or another because many managers tend to hire in their own image only weaker they do they absolutely do yeah we see that a lot in our in our line of work so i think it's important to understand what are the uh, when you're looking at picking a job, what are some of the things you're looking to hire for? What are some of the challenges around that? And to understand that the best teams have a profile. So when we look at the mental toughness profile of large numbers of people, it's a, uh, a bell curve. You have about 16% of the population that we class as mentally sensitive, so between one and three. 68% score between a four and a seven out of 10. And then the other 16% score eight to nine out of 10. So you need a balanced profile. If you were to have a skewed profile, so if everybody was mentally tough in your team, that would be a nightmare. It would be like a pack of lions, but only having male lions. They'd all be fighting each other and driving each other and you wouldn't get anywhere. You need to have a blend of people. And it's understanding that, you know, even the more mentally sensitive at times can offer a lot in terms of that team dynamic. Interesting. Well, again, um, th there is a really good argument that you should have diversity in everything apart from values. And the reason for that is you want multiple perspectives on yeah. the problem so that you iron out the creases and you take out the biases, the assumptions, the, uh, the wrong beliefs. And you, your challenge, I think, when you're building teams is to predict what will make someone successful in the role. And I think one of the areas is their ability to, or when you're interviewing, um, a really good predictor is when you ask them about similar situations to the ones they're going to face in the role, but they could be in completely different contexts. Because mm -hmm. what you really want is people who've had to think about a similar problem and ask those kind of questions, even if they didn't actually solve it, they've been through that process before. Mm. And that's certainly more useful than looking at whether they've sold into banking. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, one of the reasons we look at, we love this. And I love working with this model over all the others out there. And all the others are great. They've all got lots of benefits and things, but <laughs> it's that one of the things that we can do when we're assessing people is with that recruitment mindset on, and there's a version of the reports that allows us to, gives us questions, things to think about and pull out in the interview stage based on their profile to explore exactly those kind of things and understand and get a better idea about how they're likely to respond mentally in certain situations based on their profile. And it gives that insight that I think other models just don't do because you're looking at how people think. Okay. And so the final piece you said was uh, confidence. Yes, uh, confidence. Talk to me about that. That's an interesting one, confidence. So we break it down into two areas, interpersonal confidence, which is the degree to which we feel comfortable stating our opinions, setting our boundaries, having our points of view, engaging in, in debate and so on, and then confidence in our abilities. The two, again, aren't, uh, you know, don't always go hand in hand. If you're high in one, you're high in the other. So one of the classic things I see when I'm looking at reports 
is that I can quite easily spot who might be struggling with imposter syndrome. So they tend to be two or three scores higher on interpersonal confidence than confidence in their abilities. And that usually is a, and that's where you talk about the, the importance is not to think about, are you mentally tough or are you mentally sensitive? It's to look at the detail and the interrelationship between the eight factors that gives us the really valuable insight into what might be going on for you, how does it show up for you, what might you, how might you start to think differently in certain situations. So yeah, okay. so confidence and abilities and interpersonal confidence. Very interesting. So let's look at the applicability of this. Let's think of contexts that people are likely to be facing in day-to-day. And let's uh, juxtapose the difference between someone who's mentally sensitive and someone who's mentally tough and where most people are, what it would look like when they're facing that situation. So if we were to pick you know, one or two common uh, scenarios so people can relate. Yeah, so I come on, probably going through everybody's mind or many people's minds at the minute is the uncertainty that we're seeing in the world and certainly around you know, redundancies, organisations making changes. There are a lot of people facing that kind of scenario at the minute. I know BT have just announced 55,000 redundancies over the next... How many? 55,000 redundancies over the next two to three years, I believe. Wow. Yeah. So that's probably a classic situation where, you know, you might, where, you know, lots of people are facing that. So when you look at how it might be. So just remind me of the question again, Marcus. We're looking for context examples so that people can uh, relate to uh, what being mentally sensitive looks like in that context when that's going on and how they may be feeling or responding and then what mentally tough looks like and then what it looks like for your average, you know, the, the people in the middle 60. Yeah, so if we use that example I've given about redundancies, it's something that I've been through three times in my career. It's one of the reasons why I decided to go self-employed, um, and I've had to take teams through that process a number of times. What you tend to find is the more mentally sensitive person will have that initial reaction. They were likely to vocalise that, to, to see everyone's going to know how they're thinking and feeling because they're quite open at expressing that so are they thinking or just feeling at this stage typically they're thinking and feeling so you'll start to see it in their behaviors you start seeing what they say and what they do and they'll start to see in terms of their mindset what they're focusing on everything a lot of things will seem out of their control it's unfair it's unjust all those kind of things so that's what we're looking for we're looking for the language that show the, the indicators yeah like you can really see, start to get an idea of people's mental toughness when you look at things like language and behaviours and so on. So if you have someone in your office, say, who is quite hard to read, they don't seem to show emotions, they seem quite impassive about things, they don't get heads up, I would say they've got high levels of emotional control. Somebody who changes their mood as often as the British weather is likely to have lower levels of emotional control, much more mentally sensitive. And does that depend on context? Because one of the areas that I spend a lot of time working with my clients on is around the area of attachment. And in a work environment, I'm absolutely in control because I'm unattached to the outcome. I'm confident because I know my stuff. Um, and I've done my research, I've worked hard at it, and I've, you know, I've, I've earned my stripes. At home, I'm massively attached. And my poor wife and children have to constantly put up with my volatility because my attachment is different. 
So I'm really interested to see whether or not how mental toughness translates based on context and environment. Yeah, again, if you go back to the definition, the last bit of it is irrespective of, of circumstances. So what we're saying is that actually, if you're more mentally sensitive at home, you also have the possibility to be more mentally sensitive at work as well. It's not that you can be completely different. You can, you might be able to influence that a little bit, but probably the best way to think about this is sometimes people think, oh, marathon runners must be very mentally tough. Well, actually, they're not. They're not any more mentally tough than somebody else because they're choosing to do that. It's their choice. It's their passion. It's their thing they want to go for. So actually, when we test them, they're not necessarily more mentally tough than somebody else. Oh, right. OK, maybe I've got this wrong, but I think you've just spoken to uh, mental toughness is also intrinsically tied to motivation. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you want to do something, then actually in your it doesn't mean just because I want to go and become a marathon runner doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to be more mentally tough by doing that. So I might have to apply commitment and so on, but it just because I put myself in those situations doesn't mean I'm automatically more mentally tough than somebody who doesn't want to do that. So there is a relationship. Again, motivation is an internal force you cannot motivate anyone to do anything ever any more than you can convince them mm. to buy they have to decide for themselves that they want to you can coerce bully brutalize bribe threaten but that's not motivation mm. um, what i'm also really interested in because a lot of the people that i'm dealing with are facing a major problem which is they can't recruit and their top talent is in, is in grave danger of leaving. Mm. Uh, if one of their top talent leaves, who could be producing nine to 12 times more than a B player, then that hurts. But six months later, or within six months, there's a 50% probability of another top talent leaving. Mm. Now, that's really dangerous because now you've lost you know, 18 to 24x and you're, you're in a worse place. So. I'm really uh, interested in the whole aspect of how someone's failure to be motivated and that failure of management to recognize that then creates a flight risk. So what are the clues by looking at the eight levels, uh, eight, eight components of the mental toughness model that would tell me someone is not happy? is not being satisfied and maybe a flight risk. And I, as the manager, need to intervene uh, and deal with it. That depends on profile to, by profile. So it wouldn't, and what I mean by that, it's a good example. I've got somebody, I've just measured them, talking about maybe working with them in their organisation. I was introducing them to the model of it. And this person was quite highly across almost all of the two areas where she scores lower is giving me signs that actually she's frustrated in her role. Now, I have to look at it in the whole, in the context. What I know about this individual and where she's at gives me a clue that actually when I'm going to debrief her, her report back to her is that because she's quite high on the others, it just doesn't stand. That's an anomaly. It's an outlier. So well, why is that happening? Because I know what the situation is. And where she's at, I'm going to assume that's actually an issue that this person is likely to be feeling quite frustrated because there's nowhere for her to go. She's reached the level, she's developed herself, she's very mentally, you know, she's mentally tough across the board, she's driven, she's passionate, 
she's got ambition but actually these two other things here are suggesting to me that she's starting to feel frustrated there's no way that glass so either in the wrong role or in the wrong company because they yeah. don't can't satisfy exactly her. so it's the interrelationship between different things so it's it's when you're looking at someone's report you can't just go they are low in commitments that must mean this you have to look at it in the context of them in that situation so for your say you've got a top sales guy and uh, measure their mental toughness and they're very you know high across the board and lots of things but actually maybe their achievement is starting to dip then that's why I mean, you might ask questions like, well, hang on a minute, you're a higher player here. Why, why is that starting to dip now? What, what's going on with you there? How is that showing up for you? What's, what's behind that? Interesting. Okay. So let's have a, a quick uh, delve into some of the blind spots that people have when it comes to mental toughness. We've already talked about the misunderstanding. Let's dig deeper into the whole concept about only looking at the resilience side and um, not really seeing what it can offer at an organizational or a team level. But let's dig into that. Okay. In terms of, you know, you can use, as I said, in, in recruitment, it's a really useful tool to be able to understand in terms of you're getting a profile for somebody. A lot of times organizations will look at, you know, they might do Myers-Briggs or Insights or whatever, and they're looking at behavior and that's fine. It can be really helpful. But mental toughness looks at how we think. So I think it's a much better tool and is much more applicable in, through doctor circumstances. So imagine you're assessing someone, you've got a suite of people, potential candidates for a role, you assess all their mental toughness, and you're looking at that and how that turns up in their, their thinking and their behaviours. You can apply that to, you know, if you're a large, complex organisation like I've worked in where safety, health and safety is an issue, I'm able to look at their profile and go, actually, this person is going to be a risk when it comes to health and safety compliance because of their mental toughness profile. They are high on risk tolerance and, and high on into on high confidence abilities, but they might that might mean that they have a natural prediction for not following the rules. So imagine being able to have one profile that gives you indications as to how they're going to think and behave in different scenarios within that organization. So that's why I think it can be really quite useful when it comes to comes to recruitment looking at leadership as well sorry go on Mark. yeah no no go on so looking at leadership it can be a really useful tool to understand as i think i've already given you uh, an example of with that with that individual in social housing looking at how leaders might behave and knowing what what department or what area they're going to go into and how they might rise to or struggle with certain challenges that could come along so it's what really about um, struggling with or uh, fit with other people Again, so understanding if you've got somebody who is high on emotional control, or sorry, rather low on uh, high on life control, so strong degree of agency, control, focus on what they can control, let go of the rest, but low on emotional control, they're much more likely to be quite shouty, be aggressive, lose their lose the plot. Interesting. I'll give you an example around this. So there's an individual that we're aware of, high level in an organisation, 15, 20 year career, risen right to near the top of this organization, um, doing very well, everything's going great, leading a great team. Then COVID hit. And of course, everyone, we had to go back to our, our rabbit holes and we all stayed there for a long time. Suddenly this individual, the wheel started to come off the bus and, and he ended up depressed and really struggling. And it's like, how did he go from running a successful team and being great and in his career to that? 
And what when we looked at it was he actually had moderately low levels of emotional control and another area. And when his team got used to how he behaved, so they would buffer against him. He needed that interaction, that dynamism of human interaction, which was fine in the workplace. And they learned to manage his sort of little foibles and, and his sort of little outbursts. But when he was home alone, he didn't have any of that. He become, became very isolated and was in his high levels in other areas were causing a real conflict. And that's what led him to become very isolated, quite depressed to the point of needing clinical help. And that was all down to that understanding his mental toughness profile. Now, that is interesting. Right. So if we look at recruitment, I have a real bee in my bonnet about how badly it's done. Interviews have about 14% accuracy uh, rating. And you've got lots of different psychometrics and behavioral profiles and everything else. And all of them on their own, I think, a bit like trying to do surgery with a spoon. And it helps to do, you know, have two or three um, so that you can look at it. Because often the contradictions in the profiles are very interesting points of discussion. So I've often used things like DISC and Divine and Predictive Index and and, various others. I do like the MTQ uh, Plus. uh, the listening, the echo listening uh, profile is very int- instructive as well. And I think you need to look at the job to be done and build the role backwards from that. Build, design the function of the role and the, the human being who has to fill that job. And if you don't start with the job to be done, then you typically end up with another cut and paste and you you end up hiring the person you just fired just in a different suit. So I'm really very interested in how teams are built in order that you build to the strengths of the individuals and neutralize the impact of the weaknesses by recruiting a diverse team and I'm really interested in how the MTQ Plus can help with that. Yeah, that's, I guess that's a big question. It comes down to, like you said, starting out with an understanding of what's the role you're recruiting into, what qualities and things or what challenges are going to be, what forces are going to be acting on the role or that person that's in that role. And then not necessarily creating an ideal profile around that, but understanding what a profile might be that would be best to be able to adapt to that. So if you've got a role that's going to be high challenge, high change, and with an element of risk towards it, you certainly wouldn't hire somebody who's more mentally sensitive in those areas. But if you want to hire into a role where collaboration, communication, empathy, all those kind of things, is a real people-led role, then actually you're not going to hire somebody who's nine tens and you know nine and tens across the board unless they're sharing very high levels of self-awareness. The person you hire is the person they become under pressure. That's a rule that I mm-hmm. yes. And I want to find out what they're going to be like under pressure. So I always make a point at the beginning of an interview, Anthony, the person that we hire is going to be the one who you become under pressure. So we're going to put you under pressure. You're okay with that? And then I put them under pressure because I want to see, do they run their mouth? Do they bottle up? Do they suddenly start giving away unilateral concessions? Because that's how they're going to behave out in the field. And that's become habituated. So in terms of predicting those red flag behaviors, 
and the negative impact behaviors how effective is it at that and how do you uh, how do you teach managers to use it in order to build the right kind of balance in the team it is very good at that so how i would do that is if in a recruitment process i would have somebody take the assessment look at their report and then depending on that as you said how you do it put them under stress test them according to what the report's saying so if somebody says you know, it says to the face, oh, yeah, I'm very good. I don't lose my emotional control. But your report says there are four. Then I would stress test that and see how actually, how do they really respond? Because people can tell you anything. Um, you know, if they've got a uh, a mindset that they're open to risk and they're, they're saying that, but you actually want a role where they want, you want them to be risk averse, then you can stress test that. So I would say it's a great tool to give you insights to be able to stress test in interviews to say, uh, what they saying does that match with what they with what that report suggests so let's talk about um the inner dialogue for a while because mm. that's another really interesting area that I want to cover a lot of my work uh, revolves around um self concept so the uh, difference between who you are and what you do um and being able to make a clear distinction between the two and not allowing bad performance at work or as a parent to then drain into who you are and how yeah. you feel about who you are. So again, very appetite for uh, a mental toughness discussion. So let's mm. leave to that. And particularly the sort of self-destructive, self-sabotaging shit that goes between people's heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a concept that sort of I offer, I think, and I, I end up talking a lot of that about people I work with is, understanding like i said your role performance in that role whatever it may be doesn't and shouldn't impact on who you are as an individual and for me i do a lot of work with them around that values piece and understanding who you are and create separate identity from any roles that they they create and i think mental toughness can go help inform that conversational that self-awareness piece is to understanding you know how do i respond when something goes wrong you know, if I've messed up in a role and disappointed a client or whatever it might be, how can I uh, better understand myself and what I might naturally go to and therefore choose to maybe do something different? So we all, I think, have that inner kind of dialogue. We can often be quite self-critical. And so it's understanding and separating that can be really helpful. So having that insight into what does this tell me about who I am and how I think, and then how can I change that or adapt that according to a certain situation does that make sense yeah that's good and um, okay so i'd like to bring this into a conversation around values as well because uh, again one of uh, the rules i think matthew dashper uh, hughes mentioned it on our last episode which is that you hire for diversity in everything bar values yes and how uh, a lesson i learned this year is that if two or more fundamental human needs are not being met. People will override their values until they are. And this then leads to all sorts of drama because people become attached, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm really interested in how the, uh, the MTQ Plus allows you to preempt and predict flashpoints and conflict and to neutralize it so it becomes constructive instead of destructive. Again, it comes back to that awareness bit, Marcus. It's, you know, in that situation, I might be looking at somebody's profile and saying, okay, well, this is this indicates 
how you're likely to respond in certain situations. So let's just play that out for a bit. Imagine this situation where you feel that your values are being walked over or whatever it might be. How are you likely to respond in that kind of situation? Again, because it comes back to how we respond irrespective of circumstances, it really gives us a good idea about how somebody's going to respond if that situation comes up. And I think it's, you know, we don't look at values in the model of mental toughness, but for me, they almost sit in the center of it. That 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 mission, that purpose, and your values absolutely kind of almost sit in the center of that. But that's not how the you know the the research is used in this model. But yeah, so it, it, I would be you'd be able to sort of stress test that. I think. Okay, interesting. I'm very interested in the learning orientation uh, element as well. Mm. Can we uh, get, dig into that because mm. I think those who can adapt best to the current environment are the ones who typically thrive. Yeah. Uh, and those who don't break, that's all part of the mental toughness uh, story as well. So let's yeah. uh, dig into that. Yeah. So absolutely, I think you hit on the head, uh, hit the nail on the head there in terms of it is, it's our adaptability to how do we learn from situations? Are we willing to look back and say, okay, well, it didn't work, but what did work here? What can we do differently? How can we learn from that? How can we adapt and try that? Whereas somebody's more mentally sensitive will say, oh, God, that just didn't work, throw their hands up in it. They don't learn from those experiences. So again, if we're thinking about, you know, the environment that we're finding ourselves in, where everything's moving so fast, we've got AI, we've got all the different things, we've got global economics, everything else, you're going to want, it's going to be really important that we're looking for people who have that adaptability, willing to, to change and uh, and to be able to become, you know, have that learning orientation. Okay. So we're trying to build a team mm. and uh, we're a new manager. We've inherited the team. What advice would you give to them in terms of their first 90 days? First 90 days, I would say to start to observe their people, start to observe them, not just in the work that they're doing, but how they're going about their work. How do they start to think? when certain things happen, that can start to give them a clue. If they're not able to assess them on their mental toughness, start to give them a clue to what their mental toughness profile might be. Start to listen to their language as well. So if they're hearing things like, oh, I don't like change, or you know, I love the challenge, or people who start to see the positive in situations much more than others, that would indicate a higher degree of learning orientation. People who respond poorly to competitive people would be more on the sensitive end of learning orientation start to see how they perform in stressful situations maybe put them in deliberately slightly stressful situations a good simple one is getting to do some public speaking whether that's presenting to the group in front of their peers that's a great tool to be able to give you an indication of where somebody might be because most people hate public speaking so how they respond to that, their mindset to it, how they embrace it, how they deliver it can be a really, I think, a, a good off the cuff way of looking at somebody's profile. Well, I, I think we need to look at the data from profiles, whatever it, uh, the profile is, and we've got to te- uh, check it in context. Mm. We have to look for patterns and repetitive behavior because habit, I think, is one of the most reliable indicators of future performance 
yes. what people do repeatedly in the past are likely to do repeatedly in the future. So I'd really like to dig into the manager because mm-hmm. managers are so crucial and they're massively undervalued, they're under pressure, they are in very precarious positions, they're mostly undertrained or yeah. untrained. You know, in the UK alone, there are 2.4 million accidental managers who are scoffing their Weetabix one morning and are tapped on the shoulder and told, Anthony, your boss has been fired. You're now the idiot boss. Off you go. And that's their runway. And so their natural tendency is to do what was done to them or to do what they think is right, neither of which normally works out particularly well, given that only 6% of sales managers are fit for purpose based on 2021 study. So when designing a hiring template for a manager in sales, what are the qualities we really need to be looking for around mental toughness? That ability to be empathetic. So I I wrote a book last year called The Manager's Code, The Four Habits of Highly Effective Managers, aimed at those people you just talked about, those 2.4 million accidental managers, I call them battlefield promotions, you know, somebody gets shot and they're promoted. And for that exact reason, it's to give them those four tools. And one of the biggest things I talk about is the two powers that you have as a manager. And there's position power. I'm the manager. Do this because I tell you to do that. Or there's influence. And unfortunately, too many managers go down the position power route rather than creating that influence. And I think that's really important. So if I was looking at a template for recruitment and I happen to be using the MTQ as a tool to help inform that decision, I'll be looking for clues in their profile that says how aware are they going to be of themselves and other people? How likely are they that they are going to be able to use more influence than position power? Um, So I'll be having a conversation around looking at that control element, the emotional control and life control, and exploring what that looks like in terms of empathy and how they behave with other people. And I will be saying, you're this kind of profile. How are you going to respond to somebody who might be perhaps more mentally sensitive then? Okay. So what are the four tools? Four in the, the habits. Yeah. So I talk about it's, uh, it's code. So it's connection, observation, deputization, and empowerment. So connection is basically having regular one-to-ones, but really understanding, knowing your colleagues, the people that work for you, knowing what makes them tick, knowing their values, and allowing that to inform your conversations on a regular basis. So I talk about, I say to them as managers is, if you don't know the name, I ask them this question, do you know the name of the spouses and children of the people that work for you? Because if you don't, how can you honestly expect discretionary effort? Absolutely. You don't have to be in their lives, but you have to know what's important in their life. Um, Observation is around observing what's going on. So not just observing in terms of giving negative feedback, but observing and giving positive feedback the majority of the time. There's bits of research have been done that shows that, you know, in a, in a marital relationship, whatever it might be, whatever the gender is, there needs to be seven positive interactions for every one negative. And they can predict with a 93% accuracy which relationships will flounder based on that ratio. Now, that ratio falls to about two and a half to three to one when we're thinking in, in work context. But it's still really important that we are giving positive praise and feedback, even for stuff that people might think, well, that's just their job. 
because it takes skill, effort, and dedication to do those things. The D is deputization. Too many managers confuse task assignment with delegation. Delegation is the giving over on a permanent or a long-term basis the responsibility for something that you are still accountable for. So it might mean, Marcus, I ask you to do the weekly or the monthly sales report and prepare that for me so I can take it to board. Now, it's normally something I would do, but I'm trying to free up some time for me to do. I don't know you want to develop yourself, so I'm giving you over that responsibility to do that. I need to set the framework around what's required, what does it look like, when do I need it by, all those kind of things, and allow you to go off and do that. You're now responsible for doing it, but I'm still responsible for the outcome. So if the shit hits the fan and you don't do it well, that's because I, I still need to own accountability for that. Too many managers don't delegate right correctly. And then the last one is around empowerment, and that's taking a more coaching approach instead of saying to people, right, do this, do that. You know, I used to, with my team, say to me, come to me with a solution, then tell me what the problem was. I want them to think first around how they're going to fix it and then come that to, with that to me. So I'm trying to create independent thinking people that don't need me. And that stems from one of my early bosses, a guy who walked through a wall for, said to me, if you don't develop your team, how can I promote you? So you almost need to be making yourself redundant. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be ready to go to work every day, ready to be fired for doing the right thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of managers don't do that. They become very protectionist, uh, very small-minded, and then they lead and behave in that way. And that leads to small-minded behaviour, small-minded results. Absolutely. Well, this again feeds into the uh, juxtaposition of the drama triangle versus the winner's triangle. Mm. Is in the winner's triangle, you end up with persecuting bosses or rescuing bosses who micromanage and help without boundaries or permission and create resentment and diminish identity. Or, and then they eventually become a victim and normally ends up in a, some form of drama. What's really fascinating is the interconnection between all of these things. Yeah. And the need for managers and leaders to actually take the time to step back and reflect and look at the moving parts and look at the, uh, the most important moving parts that are going to give you the 80% from the 20% that you focus on. And I think far too many people are trying to just do more and doing more is just doing more. It's not better. And in this market, we're going to see that happen a lot. So what final advice would you give to managers who are leading in this economy based on the idea that maybe things are going to get a bit tougher before they get better? What advice would you give to them in order to maintain their mental health? To maintain their mental health, I would start to say, think about your mental fitness. And what I mean by that is mental fitness to me is an intersection of three things. Understanding your level of mental toughness. And, and how that plays out for you, your emotional intelligence and your self-awareness, and then understanding your own, you're taking, looking after your mental health. So I talk about mental fitness in the in, in intersection. If you think of a Venn diagram, mental fitness is the middle of those three things. So a lot of it comes down to understanding your self-awareness, understanding your particular profile, how, that op, how you turn up in certain situations, what's likely to be a source of stress for you, and how you might start to think about things differently, and then understanding of the drivers that are going to support good mental health. So just the usual stuff, eating well, exercise, all those kind of things. Sleep, water. 
Yeah, drink water. Interesting. There's a lot of research has just come out to show that in terms of well-being programs, resilience sessions and other things don't work. And the number one, the clear differentiator that improves mental health is volunteering. And I think that goes back to being a human being of actually doing something for other people. Yeah, and we're we're social primates. We are programmed to serve our community um, and the, the model that we've got. We're programmed as social primates to yeah. uh, want to contribute. Um, and service is not servitude. Yes. This is where people just don't get it. And this is where weak or inexperienced managers confuse their role. Your role is not to supervise people and control them. You have no control. People come to work because they choose to. They leave you because they choose to. They do things because they choose to. Now, you can bully and brutalize and bribe and do all of those things. Um, But what you won't get is discretionary effort. And what we really want is discretionary effort because that drives profitability by 5x. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's let's wrap up on that note. What would you recommend people read, watch, or listen to in order to better understand themselves and develop real mental uh, toughness? Um, There is a book called Developing Mental Toughness by Strategic and Clough, which is sort of the the manual, the Bible, if you like, uh, academic research behind the model gives a really good explanation of it they also have podcasts i think it just starts with understand beginning to understand yourself really is probably the one thing and yeah start to understand yourself better maybe find take the mental toughness the mtq test and have that debrief to you will give you perhaps the best insight because you'll also then develop or be given tools and techniques to be able to develop if that's something that's important to you in any of the areas that might be relevant Excellent. Okay, well, I've got a few book recommendations. So many of you uh, will have this already. Mark Goulston, Just Listen, and his other book, Talking to Crazy. I would also recommend Chatter by Ethan Cross, Taming Toxic People by David Gillespie. One I've been really enjoying, Making Your Crazy Work for You by Mark Borg. Then there was uh, the other one, which was uh, Albert Ellis, How Not to Let Yourself Be Miserable. Uh, how to stubbornly refuse to make yourself miserable about anything. Because... I think the other one I'd recommend if I could, a bit of self-promotion, yeah. is the one that I sent down to you, which is Mental Toughness Metaphors. That is a nice, uh, easy to digest. It's sort of Aesop's fables for the concept of mental toughness. So it introduces the model, and then through the power of short stories, introduces thinking about that and, and different characteristics associated with it. And your management book? The management book is called the Manager's Code, The Four Habits of Highly Effective Managers, both are on Amazon, Kindle, uh, Audible, and in paperback. How do people get hold of you? Best way is uh, probably through LinkedIn. Just look me up, Anthony Taylor, on LinkedIn, or they can go to my website, 359, and the nine is a digit.com, 359.com. So it's three and 50 are words? Three and fifty words, and it's the digits nine. It's a nod to Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile. Aha! Uh-huh. Excellent. Okay, uh, Anthony Taylor, thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus. 
So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please get in touch with Anthony, get in touch with me, like, comment, share, subscribe, and tag someone who could do with a little bit of help around uh, dealing with their mental health. Also check out the555club.com. Sean Doherty runs a beautiful um, program five times a day. He does five minutes of meditation, five minutes of breath work, and five minutes of gratitude. And it's incredibly powerful. I've got clients who are sending their entire teams on it. And in this economy and in, uh, given the conditions, it's really worth uh, checking out. And it's really very inexpensive. In the meantime, stay safe. Happy selling if you want to get a hold of me, Marcus at laughsiphonlast.com, and check out the link in the blurb. Have fun. Happy selling. Bye-bye.